how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Philip Reddy is a depth psychotherapist with a master's degree in counseling psychology who also happens to have 15 years experience working as a writer and producer. As such, he is well equipped to understand the creative mind and he works with writers, artists, and performers to help them with creative blocks, anxiety, depression, and the unique stresses of the film and television industry. We sit down to speak with Philip about breaking down writer's block through exploring the unconscious, active imagination, and courage. The print interview of this conversation is also available on the Creative Screenwriting website. Uh, going way back, I have great respect and empathy for writers and artists. Uh, I was an English major at Berkeley and wrote a lot of short stories. And uh, My literary heroes were Ray Bradbury, uh, Sherwood Anderson, Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Raymond Carver. So that's really what I was weaned on and, and loved. Um, after graduating, I moved to Los Angeles and got a dream job as a script analyst and creative executive for British film director Michael Apted. And uh, he did movies like Gorillas in the Mist and Coal Miner's Daughter. And, um, that was just, you know, for, for an English major, uh, being able to, you know, be hired to, to analyze text, to work with words, and to work with writers was just a dream come true, and I loved it. So how um, did you get into the the next stages of that? And, and yeah, um, after working with him, we developed a number of uh, projects for uh, film and television, and eventually I got into the production side. I just wanted to get more experience, you know, actually making things. And um, uh, I produced some some shorts, some documentary projects, and then got into commercial advertising for actually quite a while. It's one of those things you think you might start out, you know, temporarily and. Ten years later, you look back and think, okay, I've, I've done a lot of that. Um, but my life really changed towards the, the therapeutic mode when I got into my early 40s, and uh, I realized that my whole life had been really career-focused, and there was a lot of living that I felt like I was missing. And uh, maybe not coincidentally, met my wife at that time, and, and you know, we got married, and uh, a year later had a baby boy. And having a child um, really helped change my perspective even further. It really made me contemplate, do some personal reflection on, you know, what it is for me to have a, a personally meaningful and authentic life. And uh, one morning it just hit me, I want to be 
a therapist, and uh, I want to work with writers and artists. And it was like having a moment of clarity, really, from that moment on. As soon as I had that concept, suddenly doors just seemed to open for me, and um, I enrolled in graduate school. I went to a, a place called the Pacifica Graduate Institute up near Santa Barbara, and the focus of Pacifica really is on a, a, a depth orientation. Um, it's inspired by, you know, the writings and researchers uh, research of, of people like uh, Carl Jung and um, James Hillman and uh, Joseph Campbell. Um, as a writer yourself, I'm sure you're familiar with Joseph Campbell and um, how valuable his his work has been for the writing community. Um, he actually spoke there at Pacifica many times um, before I was a student there, but uh, I, I knew about it through his work. And um, they actually have his personal archives and library uh, there and his writing desk, in fact, um, housed there on campus at the Opus Archives. And, uh, you know, I did a tour of it one day and I saw James uh, Joseph Campbell's famed writing desk that he used for, you know, 40 plus years. And I thought, you know, this is where it all began, the hero with a thousand faces right here on this desk. So for me, I, I knew I was at the right place. Um, and then, so I graduated uh, with a master's in counseling psychology. Uh, I then did two years of clinical uh, training. You know, that's hands-on counseling experience at a, a great organization called the Maple Counseling Center in Beverly Hills. And uh, I worked with a lot of writers and filmmakers there. And that just, you know, kind of reconfirmed that this is the path I want to be on. I want to use my 15-plus years of background in, in development and production, um, but for, you know, therapeutic uh, reasons. And uh, just felt like the perfect match of my, of my experience, my skills, and my interests. So then after two years there, um, I went into private practice where I now am at, and um, I have a, an office on uh, Larchmont, uh, which is right near Paramount Studios, so it's a great location. And um, I work with... Um, a lot of writers, screenwriters, uh, some fiction writers, uh, TV writers, as well as filmmakers and some performers and stand-up comics and actors as well. Do you believe there's, like we're talking about creative blocks, do you believe there's different levels of creative blocks? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I I feel that just as no two clients are alike, uh, no two creative blocks are alike. Um if you ask me, you know, what's kind of the most common presenting issue that clients come to me with, particularly writers, um, I would say it's, you know, expressed as, cre as creative block or writer's block. Um, but what usually lies beneath that is uh, some form of anxiety or depression. Um, for some writers, that shows up as, hey, I can't write at all. I'm just completely blocked. Can't write a word. Haven't done it in three months or two months. Um for others, it's I'm just writing so slowly. You know, I've got these deadlines and I keep missing them. Or, you know, I, I just had to send a treatment over to to a, an agent who's going to read it right away, and I just couldn't get that darn thing done. Right. And uh, now I lost that opportunity. Um, for some guys, maybe who are starting out trying to break into business, uh, maybe related to, you know, it may express itself as a, like a loss of confidence. They'll think, gosh, will I ever make it? Um, and for guys that are already in the business, they may think, well, I sold one project, will I ever sell another? Or, yeah, I've sold five projects, but they don't get made. Or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, right. uh, one of the common illusions that many people in the uh, film and television industry have is that 
they have these benchmarks in their mind that if they suddenly cross this hurdle, uh, their problems will be over. Um, right. But the truth is, you know, fame or fortune really doesn't make our problems go away. It often just amplifies the same problems you had before. Right. Um, and, you know, so the, the often we'll meet a benchmark, let's say, and then have this feeling of emptiness afterwards. Like, gosh, I thought everything would be different. I'm, I'm a showrunner now or I'm a staff writer or I sold a spec or whatever it may be. And, man, I'm still stressed out, and I still wonder if I'm a fraud. And um, So, again, I, I look at that as anxiety and or depression, and we work together to, to really see what's, um, what that's about, what it looks like. Um, and, you know, I, I can talk about different ways that we may, may treat that if, if that's a question that you have or if you have any other follow-up questions on that, I'm happy to answer. Absolutely. Um, what Do you have, like, a certain percentage of – of clients that like what would be the largest makeup or is it just kind of a across the board is, is it all is it mostly new is it mostly people that are coming back or um, um let's see you know it's across the board most of my clients i've had for a couple of years i do have some new ones um so most of the people that come to me tend to want to stay for a longer period of time um Hopefully that reflects positively upon the work that we're doing. Um, but depth, depth therapy, it's different than other modalities like, you know, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that some of those modalities are more specific, like, hey, I just want to quit smoking tomorrow. I don't care how I do it. I just want to get it done. Depth therapy, and I, I think it's a reason why artists, uh, artists and writers are attracted to it, um, we look at a much deeper approach, hence the name. Um, that includes um, exploring dreams, um, unconscious material as it may show up in terms of writing or art or images, um, archetypes that seem to be reoccurring over and over again in a client's life, um, yeah, you know, mythology, and not just you know Greek or Roman mythology, but what's what's one's personal mythology, you know. It, if you talk to people long enough, you start to understand that there's a certain narrative that they're operating on that's, that's based upon, you know, maybe childhood events or just things in their mind, expectations, and they tend to repeat those uh, those experiences over and over again because it's coming often from an unconscious place. They don't realize they're doing it. You know, right. if you think of someone that's been in the same kind of relationship, you know, say he, he dates over and over again and he always seems to pick the same type of person, you think... You know, dude, <laughs> right. everyone else can see it. Why, why can't you? You know, you're, yeah. you're essentially dating the same person over and over again. Or you you keep uh, going after jobs with bosses that mistreat you or whatever that may be. Um, so by, by really working and trying to get to some of the unconscious drives that we, ha we all have, um, bringing that up to the consciousness level, then people, once they have that awareness, they can decide whether or not to make a change. Well, it's still buried in the unconscious. It's it's literally impossible to, to make a change. Right. You know, we can read all the self-help books we want, but if we have that same blind spot and you're not working with a, a trained therapist to help guide you, to help kind of point that out, um, you're liable just to, to kind of repeat the same things over and over again, which is great if it's bringing you the results you desire, but not so great if it's not. So that's where, where therapy can really help and come in. Okay. Um, so that's where that kind of, you know, that awakening, that realization moment of, of the, the specific issue. What kind of treatments have proven to be more successful than others? Yeah, one um, 
one technique that um, I like to use is called active imagination. Uh, it's based upon, it's actually a very old practice, but uh, Carl Jung kind of really made it more, I guess, well-known because he, he utilized it a lot. Um, and I find active imagination very effective with writers is because many writers do something similar very intuitively. It's just part of their writing work. Um, what active imagination is, it's uh, creating a conscious dialogue with unconscious parts of ourselves. So what does that mean? Um, literally, you open up a page in your journal or on your laptop, and you as yourself begin having a dialogue with, let's say it's your writer's block. Um, I'll suggest that my clients, when they, when they first come in, they'll say, oh, I've got this awful writer's block. I want you to, you know, kill it, exterminate it, remove it. Right. And instead I'll say, you know what, let's befriend it and then we can transcend it. Um, and they'll think, I I don't want anything to do with this. What do you mean, you know, befriend it? I say, well, if your writer's block was a, was an entity or a person, you know, what would it look like? Um, and we'll literally have that client describe it visually and, you know, particularly for writers and artists, we're, we're not afraid to go there in that magical realm. We, we live there. We work there all the time. Um, so quite rapidly, they're usually able to tell me, oh, well, it's this huge guy. He's 25 feet tall. He looks like an ogre. Uh, he's got a club or a battle axe. And uh, he comes pounding at my door and he stands between me and my desk or my laptop and says, you're not writing today, mate. You know, you're, <laughs> you're going to do anything else except write. Um, so we'll try to I'll encourage him to get as specific as possible, um, and really make that character come alive, you know, animate that writer's block. And then I'll encourage, uh, that writer to initiate a dialogue with the block. Um, talk to it, ask it, why can't I write today? What do you want of me? What, what would you rather we do today? And, um, often they'll find that as soon as that writer's block is kind of acknowledged and respected in a way, mm-hmm. it starts to give you really good information. Well, I'm not writing today because actually I've been wanting to write a comedy and you keep writing these uh, you know, action adventure pieces because that's what sells, but you're a really funny guy. And remember back in college, you'd make everybody laugh and, you know, like, really? Okay. It'll often say very surprising things that may make sense to the writer, but something they've kind of ignored. Um, it's, it's usually that material that we repress into the shadow side that we don't want to acknowledge. Um, you know, we, we just think, well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be in a business here as a screenwriter and this is what's popular. So this is what I need to sell. And usually that shadow side, that writer's block has something important to share with us. It's kind of speaking from the soul's point of view, um, if it's being ignored. And so by, by nurturing it, by allowing it to kind of have form to come into the room, so to speak, um, often it'll start um, – the, the negative aspects will start to recede a bit and more positive aspects will come out. And the overall goal um, is an integration. The idea is to, to integrate your gifts with your shadow sides. You've got the light. You've got the darkness. It's the combination of the two that really makes us powerful writers, creators, artists. Uh, when we try to deny any one thing – uh, that tends to produce, you know, less yeah. desirable results. Okay. Um, do you think there's certain individuals that are more susceptible to blocks than others or these gaps in creativity? You know, that's a great question. Um, I interviewed uh, screenwriters 
And, yeah. You know, it's everywhere from like um, a lot of the actor writers, uh, it seems like more so, will tell me, or, or that's not true, all, all of them, or like half or more, will just tell me, I'm like, what's the hardest part? And they'll tell me every part of it is the hardest part. I've had other uh-huh. ones that will say, you know, nothing. It's like it's, they, they, they don't believe in writer's block. They write every day and, and, that, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of, yeah. I hear all the answers, but I I just wonder, <laughs> you know, and, and I can't, I personally can't tell the difference, you know, they seem to be prolific, you know, I mean, they're not like Stephen King, a book a year, but they're all constantly writing, you know. No kidding. Well, well, I would say that, you know, each issue is as unique as the individual, but if, if you looked at the theory that maybe there's, let's say there's anxiety behind all of this, so whether you're a Stephen King and you have masterfully learned how to manage your anxiety because I don't believe he's immune from anxiety, but I believe he at a very early age or some point, he was able to channel that into a really productive form in which rather than fear at gosh, what if I don't come up with another idea, I'm just going to write every second of the day or whatever his process may be 10 hours a day or eight hours every day or whatever that is. So he found a really, you know, healthy and productive way to channel that anxiety, let's say, um, into a way that, that that's prolific. I mean, workaholism is extremely common, A, in America, and, and B, certainly in, in Los Angeles or Hollywood, you know, film and television. You're constantly under pressure to succeed, and there's always, you know, people around you that seem to be doing more or doing better, et cetera. Yes. So that can sometimes result in people just working 24-7 to manage that anxiety and trying to just produce, produce, produce. Or it can show up as like, gosh, you know, I haven't been able to do anything. I'm, I'm frozen. So, um, you know, for the people that are extremely prolific, what might be a presenting issue for them is like, gosh, you know, everything's great with my writing. I've got three shows on the air right now, and I'm doing this and that. Um, haven't really seen my wife in three months or, yeah, you know, I haven't seen my kid. I missed two birthdays in a row and we were on location shooting. So, you know, other issues will present themselves. And again, as a therapist, my goal is to kind of work with my clients, see what may be missing from their, you know, their vision of having a fulfilled life and help them integrate that whenever possible. And in, in the television world or film world, Often it's not possible to do that every single day. You can't be the great dad and the great executive producer at the same time. But you know what? You work really hard nine months of the year, and then maybe you spend three months of that year when you're on hiatus or, or what have you, and you're just going to be 24-7 dad for a while. I mean, you have to kind of find what works for you in your lifestyle. Right. Um, and that takes a lot of communication. It takes a lot of a soul-searching and a lot of inner work to, to be authentic to yourself. And if your goal is to work 24-7, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but you want to be really honest with yourself and with the people in your life. Like, this is my goal. I'm in sync with this. Um, it, it's, it's, there's no one choice that's correct for, for anybody. It's just this idea of often we're operating unconsciously and uh, sometimes unhappy with the results. So let's, let's look at what you're doing. Let's look at what your goals are and see if we can help make you a little bit more in sync. Does, does that does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, let's see right here. Um, this, one, this might be two questions. I'm gonna kind of string them together. Um, sure. Do you think uh, these creative blocks or writing blocks come um, 
let's see, how did, how did like a rational thought and then also like affect writing and then also how, do, how often does actual failure happen just because of anticipated failure? Yeah, great question. Um, let's see. What I'll, and, and I think this will answer it, and if not, ask me again. But I guess what comes to mind when you, when you, when you mention that is, um, you know, when is writing block showing up, writer's block showing up for somebody? And what I often will notice, I'll ask them very specifically, particularly in the beginning when I'm just getting to know a client, uh, well, when does your writer's block show up? Tell me exactly. Let's go through your day. Um, uh, do you feel it when you're having breakfast? Uh, you, no, you know, are you as you're driving to your office or you're going upstairs to your laptop? What will eventually often come up for me is that I'll notice that when they're writing, they'll suddenly switch into uh, critic mode, and they'll start editing themselves or criticizing as they're doing their imaginal work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I often point out that, you know, <laughs> Coppola or Scorsese or Tarantino, they're not inviting the New York Times film critic to come out and hang out in their set and give them advice as they're directing, right? Right, right. Um, there's a time and a place for all that. You know, there's a time and a place you go and you sit with your editor and you're going to make edits. And after the film's released, you want reviews, you want people to come out and see it and uh, create conversation around it. And whether they like it or not, that's part of the process. Um, but so many writers I'll see will metaphorically invite their, their inner uh, critic or their inner editor to sit down with them as they're in the creative process and then wonder why they're getting stuck. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I really strive to teach them doing imaginal work is it's a really noble and difficult process. Um, if you're familiar with, you know, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's, you know, famous work, as, as most writers are, um, I try to share with them the idea that it's not just your characters that are on this hero's journey. You, as the writer, are on the same journey. It's called a monomyth because we're all on the same journey. You know, each individual is going on this journey. And you're going to have that, you know, when you first get that great idea, it's like that, you know, call, call to action. Uh, and then you, you may deny it. Oh, no, that's actually a terrible idea. And then you'll accept it. And then you'll have your, orde your ordeals, your trials. So as a writer, if you can understand that, yeah, you're going to be challenged and that's part of it. You're going to feel like you're in a, a deep, dark woods and you can't get out when you're in your second act and thinking like, oh, this was a terrible idea. I should just go back and start another idea. But really staying on the journey, trying to seek guidance from, from you know, mentors, uh, whether it's other members of your writing tribe, um, uh, whether it's seeing a, you know, a therapist like myself or, or you know, someone equivalent, seeking those mentors, seeking those guides, seeking really everything you need to help you on this journey because imaginal work is very difficult. And the average guy or gal that has a regular nine-to-five job doesn't have to go into that world every day and then try to come out every day. Um, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why there's so much, um, you know, temptation, I think, in this business towards uh, drinking or using drugs or other addictions uh, because it's, it's really hard to, to live and work inside of your head. Uh, and then how do you get out of that at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. So, you know, using 
some of the techniques I have, my goal is to help give them some tools where they can kind of create a threshold. They're going to enter the imaginal world, world, do their creative work, but then also safely exit and uh, hopefully do something healthy when they when they leave rather than reach for a you know a shot glass or, or what have you, something that will sustain them more in the long run. Okay. How, um, I mean, how much, during your actual talk, how, is it as personal as you think of any therapist? How how willing are the writers to go into that, and how do they relate to the writing to their personal lives if it all, and it's all connected? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've worked with people that are, are not writers, and my, my, my style of working with them is exactly the same. Um, and, you know, People tend to get as much out of therapy as they're willing to put into it. Yeah. Um, I strive to create a very, you know, safe, relaxed environment. Um, you know, I I like warmth in a relationship, humor. Um, uh, it's not about jargon or theories. It's just ultimately two people in a room having a frank, open, warm conversation. And we can talk about whatever issues come up. Um, it's a non-judgmental uh, space. It's a confidential space. Um, so, yeah, you know, some people are willing to, to really go into some deep places, and others aren't as comfortable with that, at least in the beginning, and that's mm-hmm. fine, too. Um, you know, it's, I, I see it as a partnership. It's a therapeutic alliance. I'm there to help them wherever they're at. You know, my goal is to meet them where they're at and to kind of walk, walk beside them metaphorically, and when they're ready, they're ready, and I don't push. Um, you know, I just I'm there. I'm I'm a presence. If if there's something I can share, that's great. But uh I'm I'm not like a I'm not trying to uh be anything more than just a, a partner with them. Let them right. know that I'm I'm here, you're on a, a tough journey. Um my experience is different than yours. Um your anxieties are different than mine, but you know, I can understand, I have empathy for your journey and I'm here for you. Okay. When you're looking back at those that have, you know, overcome some of those issues, and especially those that have, like, a lifelong or ongoing success, is there some key element that you see in these people or some willingness or something about that you can elaborate on? Yeah, courage. One word, courage. The people that I've, I've come, I've seen that have come the farthest are those that just absolutely have taking it upon themselves to make a change in their life. And it's, it's a really difficult thing to, 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 to make change. Most of us don't do it. Most of us human beings are afraid to change. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. Um, so, you know, I have such deep respect for the clients that are able to, to really work hard on themselves. Um, in this <laughs> world of, you know, 24 seven, the buzz and internet access everywhere we go. I mean, there's so many other distractions. It's so right. it's so much easier not to come in and do hard inner work. Yeah. It's so much easier just to check out TMZ.com and space out for an hour, you know, right? Um, watch a reality show or what have you. That's the easy stuff. It's 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 everywhere around us. Um, but to actually come in a room and, and face yourself, and that's really what they're facing. You know, I'm there, but it's. I'm I'm like a mirror. I'm reflecting back to them what they're telling me, what I'm hearing, what I'm witnessing. I'm a witness to their experience. And, um, you know, for someone to, to, to make that kind of commitment and say, yeah, I want to do this. Um, it's just, it's a courageous act. And I'm, I'm humbled every time. 
um, after all these like conversations, um, if you were to sit down now and, and read a few screenplays, can you, you know, do you have a different perspective of the writer from just the words on the page, or do you think it's all, or is that something kind of irrelevant to it? Uh, let's see. Well, I guess depending on what I'm asked to do, um, I, I typically don't read my clients' scripts. I'll, I'll, I'll be open to um, having them talk about it, like what motivates them to write it or what's the issue that they're struggling with. But um, I keep my past life very separate than this current life. Okay. Um, so w when I go out and see a movie, you know, I'll think about it just, hey, is this great entertainment? Um, I may think of it from a, a story act perspective. Huh, okay, slow second act, but really delivered in the third. So I, I may look at it that way, mm -hmm. um, but I'm just as apt to look at it from a, you know, Joseph Campbell's perspective, the hero's journey, oh, you know, what, what tactics did the writer employ here? Um, the ch I guess the challenge with screenwriting is so much of that, unfortunately, these days, um, it's uh, screenwriting is often, at least the, the films that get produced, um, much less of a personal endeavor they were than, say, you know, I, I felt kind of the golden era of, of personal filmmaking in a lot of ways was the 70s, where you had a lot of really dark, uh, you know, topics. You had your Godfathers and Apocalypse Now and Deer Hunters and films that, uh, you know, taxi drivers that really had a psychological edge or really um, interesting and dark and weren't afraid to go to those places. I tend to see less of those films, those personal films being made now. And a lot of it's just the sheer economics of the industry. You've got to, right. yeah. you've got to make a lot of money, so much money now to just to make your budget back that um, there's less room for that. Although on the positive side with the, the lower costs of, you know, digital uh, filmmaking, uh, there are a lot of artists that are getting a chance to make their own personal films um, and get them completed. Um, they just don't necessarily have the distribution, et cetera. But, um, you know, there are outlets for filmmakers to do expressive, their own visions. There's a lot more now than, than when I started out, but um, maybe not as many ways to see them in big screens. Okay. Um, a lot of the, you know, the big, I mean, not that these are new, but the big buzz going around now seems to be that a lot of meditation and journaling every day. Is there anything that you personally recommend to help either stop or prevent possible writer block or creative block? Yeah. You know, I, I'm definitely a fan of um, uh, Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way series, okay. um, particularly the idea of morning pages. Um, essentially what I see that is it's a way to, to try to kind of derail anxiety, it's by you know getting up and just literally writing so fast. Uh, are you familiar with the concept of morning pages? Um, I've heard something with maybe Tim Ferriss, it's just some, some morning journaling, kind of just getting it all out there. You just write for a certain amount of time or something. Or yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it came from a book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, uh -huh. and uh, she's actually had several kind of variation books. There's kind of a series now, but the original one was called The Artist's Way, and um, that was one of her techniques, just uh, morning pages, and you get up and you write. I don't remember exactly, you know, how much time she suggested, but whatever that is, say it's 45 minutes or an hour of nonstop mm -hmm. writing. Um, she recommended, you know, writing by hand, but often laptops are easier and we can type even faster. So whatever works for you. But, yeah, I, I think morning pages and journalism, I mean, journaling is really important. Um, you know, I encourage the writers I work with to, to do that journaling. And it's always amazing to me when I meet writers who say that they don't, um, because really that's your, 
that's your own internal gold mine. Your personal right. individual experiences, that's the gold that only you have access to. Mm-hmm. And you may not be able to recognize it now, but when you write about the surprise party that you threw for your wife that was a disaster last week, um, right. write a few lines about that. A year from now, that could be something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to forget about it, perhaps, if, if you don't put in those details. Um, so really, you know, this idea of, of turning inward, working inward, um, that's that's your goal. That's what you want to mine, and you can mine that forever. The more the more personal it is, the more universal it is. That's something you've, you've probably heard in writing classes or writing groups before, but, you know, right. I find that very true. Uh, clients will reveal to me that uh, something perhaps that they think that no one's ever heard before, and, you know, I'll think, okay, yeah, this is a recurring thing that I've heard from many clients, and, of course, you right. can't discuss that, but right. we all feel like we're the only ones that have a certain feeling. You know, yeah. a writer will say, gosh, you know, I think I'm the stupidest guy in the writer's room. I don't know how I keep my job. Yeah. Um, and so we'll kind of measure that. Like, well, what are you basing that on, and have you gotten any feedback from your uh, the showrunner or your producer or what have you? And that, well, they told me I'm doing great. In fact, I, I won an award last week, but, you know, I, I got lucky. Right. I got really right. lucky. Right. Um, so we do a little bit of reality testing sometimes. And, um, you know, at, at certain times in our life, we all feel like we're we're not authentic or we haven't really earned it. Um, but, again, it's just the idea is just keep doing your best, um, doing your inner work, uh, and also, you know, I, I remind my writers, it's not only okay, but it's it's really healthy to have an outside life, mm-hmm. to be able to turn off that laptop at a given time and go out and, you know, go play baseball with your kids, um, take your wife out in a romantic dinner or cook her a great meal, um, have a life, stay involved, volunteer at your local, you know, charitable organization, something you believe in, volunteer at your local school, uh, take part in life. Uh, when you're 100 years old, looking uh, looking back on your life, uh, thinking what was it all about? Yeah, writing's going to be a part of it, but there's so many other roles that we play, whether it's you know son or daughter or husband or uh, wife or grandson or you know these are all really important life roles, and uh, we we ignore that at our own peril. You know that's the richness of life, and that's ultimately what the gifts that we have to write about. Um, so what's your, uh, just kind of a, maybe this might go back to the beginning somewhere, but what's your like given week or given day like, um, in the job you're in? Uh, let's see. Well, um, two or three days a week, I actually work with uh, children, uh, who are, uh, labeled as ADHD or on the spectrum for autism. So that's something apart from my writer's work. Uh, I'll, I'll often, shadow them in a preschool setting where they're at and um that's something I'm I'm hired to do uh to to help assess them and, and um, um you know help help the schools as well. Sure, sure. So you know working with kids that's <laughs> talk about being in an imaginal world. Um you're reminded of this idea of like, oh, you know, writers and artists, they live in this airy world, you know, isn't really real, and, and normal people don't have those kinds of jobs. And if if you're working with three- and four-year-olds, you realize, actually, we all start out that way. Uh-huh. You know, one of them will say, hey, there's Spider-Man in the corner. They all turn. They see this imaginary Spider-Man and start running over to him. Or, hey, right. the Hulk's over there throwing sand. So it, it's a great reminder to be in that imaginal space. It's actually a very human endeavor. 
Uh-huh. Um, let's see. And then on the days where I work with my adult uh, clients, you know, I'll go into my office and I'll just, uh, you know, a session is typically 50 minutes, five uh, zero, so just under an hour. And they'll come into my office and, um, you know, I typically just say, so how are you? You know, has anything been coming up for you this past week? Uh, and they'll just start talking and they'll say, yeah, you know, this or that happened and I'll explore their feelings about it. Um, they may bring up something that we've kind of been talking about before. Um, I'll ask them if there have been any dreams that uh, you'd care to share and they'll perhaps share a dream with me and we'll discuss it together. Um, people are actually their own best experts in a dream. As a therapist, my job is to kind of facilitate that the exploration of a dream and, and what it may or may not mean. And I'll ask questions and I may make observations of that certain uh, image links up perhaps with an image in the dream they shared with me last week. And they may or may not remember that, but I'll help kind of dot the, uh, you know, cross the, uh, uh, well, you know, kind of, kind of make those connections, so to speak. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not scripted. It's uh, very creative. It's very intuitive. Um, you know, I listen to my body. I listen to my senses as I'm with a client. I can tell if they're perhaps more nervous or they're in a different state than they normally are, and I'll kind of inquire about that if it doesn't come up naturally. Um, again, I'm there to kind of offer a reflective uh, guide, um, and uh, some are very specific. Uh, I want to work on, you know, X. I want to work on my relationship, or, you know, I, I cannot get along with my co-writer, and we need to finish this project in three months and I'm going to strangle him. So (laughs) what can we do? You know, again, my goal is to try to help develop tools that they can use um, for the rest of their life, ideally, Um, whether they're successful or not, having these tools will help them, um, you know, for a long time. Okay. Something you said about the kids reminded me, I just read this book, um, Creativity Inc., about the, the Pixar story, kind of by Ed Catmull. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good book. He he talks about being, um It's it's all about Pixar except for this one part. He goes to his daughter's school and he says the first grade the first graders' paintings are better than the fifth graders because they've already found that doubt and that fear of not being good enough and they're and they you know they don't they don't draw what they see they draw what their mind thinks they see. It's kind of reminded me of that. They're talking to you. That, that's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the wisdom of kids and the, the creativity of kids is, is amazing, and I agree. The, the school the schools often tend to stamp that out. People become more self-conscious yeah. as they get older, and suddenly one girl or boy is designated as, oh, look at Julie. She's the best uh, artist in our class. Her cat looks just like a cat. And right. everyone else who are doing these Jackson Pollock versions of cats suddenly stop doing cats because cat yeah. can't look like a splatter of paint. Um, yeah, so it, it's it, it is part of the process, unfortunately, in, in many of our schools. And um, it, the, the kids are, are so wise, and they teach me. I mean, just the other day, I was working with kids in one of the preschools I work at. There's a um, a big sandbox area, r- really big sand area, and um, some of the teachers had hidden little plastic uh, gems, like little fake jewels, like rubies and diamonds, under the sand before the kids came out. And right. so we told the kids, okay, there's there's um, there's some treasure, there's some hidden treasure in there, and they all had shovels, and they get so excited. This is something we do maybe once a week with them, and they just get so excited. And 
one little boy had been digging next to me for, you know, maybe five or six minutes, which is a long time when you're four. And I could see him just getting really frustrated. And uh, I knew that there was uh, a ruby like three inches or six inches away from him because I'd seen it buried. And I said, you know, hey, I I wonder if you want to try digging somewhere else. And he said, but I've already been digging here for five minutes. Um, And actually, he didn't say five minutes. I've been digging here. I've been digging here for so long. And um, he wasn't going to stop digging there because he invested all this time. And Uh, it made me reflect upon, you know, us as adults, very often we'll keep digging in the same place, even if we're not hitting our own treasure. Yeah. just because we've invested so much time, you know, you hear about guys like they're in a job for 25 years that they hate, but they think, well, five more years and I'm on my retirement or, or whatever that may be. Right. Uh, and, you know, that, that may be the treasure for that person. Um, yeah. But you think, gosh, if five years into that job and they realized they hated it, what if they had just tried to find something that they actually loved? Mm-hmm. How much better the quality of their life might have been had they just you know, move their shovel six inches and started digging there. So of all the, you know, different, every art path has hurdles and obstacles and everything else. Why do you think the writer's block became like the most well-known or most common? It's a great question. Maybe, you know, A, I don't have the exact answer. Um, It may be that, it's something that's more accessible. It, it, it may be that something that seems more accessible to more, more people. This, this idea of being a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, many people can look around like, well, I'm definitely not a sculptor. I could never do anything with clay. Uh, and boy, I'm no Rembrandt. I cannot paint. But there's a lot of people in the world that think like, yeah, I could be a great writer if just I had the time or just if I spent, you know, focused some time to do it. Right. So, I think it's one of those things that we all think we have access to. Um, and, you know, who's to say? You read, you can read some, <laughs> some first drafts of famous uh, novels that are absolutely terrible. Right. And, gosh, if that person stopped right there, this would not be anything. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's the work that they put into it, that polishing, that, that devotion to the craft, that yeah. ability to stay with something, and, and, you know, talent and everything that goes along with having these literary gifts, of course, um, uh, that that make it beautiful. Um, but I guess that would just be my guess, that writing seems to, to be something that should be really easy for most people because, hey, I've got a typewriter and I can move my fingers. And, yeah. Um, you know, I when I first started working in the film industry, you know, I would hear people say like, oh, yeah, I want to be a director. And you think, well, have you directed anything? No, but, you know, I've, I love movies and I've seen a million of them. Right, right. Well, yeah. You wouldn't treat that, you know, a heart, heart surgeon just says, ah, I've seen a million operations. I'm going to go in there tomorrow. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you, um, you know, it's really, it's the craft and it's the people that devote the time to it, to learning it, um, that, that tend to have the most uh, success uh, in the long run. I think it's uh, I think it's harder to start. Like when I was when I was younger, you know, if you look at let's say there's music and then there's like painting, then there's like writing. Yeah, you, can, you get immediate praise if you can play guitar and if you can paint a good a decent picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you can spend hours, you can spend a little bit less time on a painting or something like that. But people see it and they like it or they dislike it immediately. Versus like it's hard to get people to write, to read your stuff when you're younger and everything else. You know, that's a great point. And it's way more uh, rich, you know. 
if if you've got great hair and a guitar, uh, yeah. <laughs> you right. can get some attention pretty quick. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, listening to music takes less effort, and just standing and looking at a painting. I mean, it's a more of a immediate response uh, medium. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty easy. You know, if you want to get an agent, if you could, no one wants to read anything. Uh, they didn't, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, and they certainly don't now. Um, it takes real effort. It takes devotion. If you're going to read somebody's script, uh, minimum one to three hours if you're going to do it with heart and with intention. Um, and, you know, a script is a blueprint. It, it's it's like reading plans for a building that may be constructed, and that building is going to look wildly different depending on right. you know, what color yeah. you paint it and who's building it and what the materials are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one of the, the real... Um, uphill battles that writers have historically faced. Um, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, when he came to Los Angeles in the 1920s, uh, he was this, you know, young wonderkind writer, uh, novelist, thought it would be a piece of cake to crank out some screenplays, um, and found it to just to be a nightmare, really difficult. Um, so, you know, being a screenwriter really is a unique uh, set of skills Um and you don't get the same level of acclaim as as a novelist. You know, people are going to change a lot of your words. Um, they're going to treat it like a blueprint because that's what a script is. So even if you're wildly successful, you'll see interviews, and I'm sure you've done them with uh, yeah. you know famous top-notch screenwriters, and they've always got uh, some complaints. Um, often, ah, it wasn't wasn't what I expected, and I really want to direct because they want that that ability to control the vision and it's just a blueprint. And that's, that's tough. It's tough for for a writer. They don't get the respect they deserve in this industry and they never have um, going back to the Fitzgerald and and beyond. It's, uh, it's a challenge, but um, you know, that's why I really see it as a calling. If it's something you're, you've got to do, you're called to do it um, because it's, it can be so challenging along the way, but um, also rewarding. I'm sure you've, you know, you've done interviews with many, great screenwriters who love what they do and they've gotten a chance to get their work out there. And, um, you know, so creative work is it's high risk and high reward. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, master the freelancer mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset. Step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Kerry Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.